Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sampasel Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot of stuff that I want to get to going on in the world today. I'm going to be getting into a bunch of trending trailers that have come out. A major casting decision has been brought down on Christopher Nolan's brand new film and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today is recapping an event that went on this past weekend. And and no, it's not the box office. No, it's not a movie. It is the DC Fandome event that really kind of captivated once again this past Saturday in which we got brand new news on new DC movies, television, comics, animated shows and movies, and HBO Max shows and movies that are going to be correlating within the DC universe. So much stuff that was kind of jam-packed into four crazy hours here on the East Coast at 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. and then over on the West Coast. It started at 10 a.m. on Saturday. So there was a bunch of stuff that went on over the weekend in DC fandom. Really a lot to unpack. But overall, just kind of thinking about the event and having a couple days to really kind of think about it and marinate over the things that went on. Compared to last year's event, I found this one actually to be a little bit more dull than last year. I don't know if it was maybe the the pacing or the the schedule of it. I just thought that it was a lot more slower than the the first event that went on, which is kind of crazy because the first, the first event actually was a lot longer longer to it went from I believe it was around 1 p.m. again but I remember the last panel which was the Batman ended really at around 8 or 9 o'clock here in the East Coast so it was really like a full day event whereas this was kind of in the afternoon early evening time on Saturday but I just felt a lot of it to be rather kind of dull but the things that they did show us which I'll talk about is was great and they I think energized a lot of people and excited a lot of people of what's to come in the next year or so but I just think there were some things that maybe I wasn't into, but maybe somebody else like the comic books and the animated shows and movies was really interested in. And I think they would have liked really kind of the middle portion of of this event. But I just felt like, and this was something that I was really kind of worried about too, was that they didn't really kind of have a full-blown schedule. Whereas last year they had kind of made it a full-on kind of Comic-Con event where you could sign up and be notarized and notified of when certain events are happening. And they kind of listed out, okay, this is when certain events are happening happening here so some people could leave the DC panel for a little bit and then come back when there was another panel that they were interested in whereas with this it was just kind of we knew that Black Adam was going to start the event but and we knew probably that the Batman was going to end it like I did last year but we didn't really know what was going to happen in between everything when was a a major television announcement going to be made or when was the Aquaman panel going to happen or the Flash it was just kind of happening on the fly even though all of it was kind of pre-recorded we nobody who's watching other than the people that made the event knew what the organization and the schedule was going in so i think that was a little bit of i think a misfire that i think worked to the benefit of the show last year but again i just found it to be kind of sluggish moving throughout it more than last year last year it felt like a quick kind of pace like again even though it was a lot longer i just felt it be a lot shorter than i what i experienced this year even though this year's dc fandom in terms of total runtime was again a lot shorter than last year's and I think even though again some of the things that we got within the panels were awesome 
I felt like there definitely was some missed opportunities in really kind of announcing some things and really kind of getting into some of the of the films that we really know nothing about. We got some really cool footage that can excite fans over the next couple of months and really kind of keep them at bay, but nothing else really kind of came out of this. And I think that was definitely kind of a, a missed opportunity in that notion of really kind of expanding on these panels. But what I really did like was definitely you could see the advancements and the restrictions kind of lessen within this pandemic world that we're in right now, whereas really kind of everything was pretty much a Zoom meeting last year, even though we were in this kind of big virtual world. A lot of the panels were within Zoom calls, really. But this year, a lot more people were in rooms together because they were vaccinated. And you can allow that kind of stuff with testing and vaccines to really kind of happen in today's day and world right now. So there was a lot more kind of of meeting together and interacting with one another, whether it is in the virtual space or if they were shot on a different kind of location where they could all be together. For the most part, there were some Zoom things that did happen, but for the most part, everyone was kind of together or it felt like they were in the same space and they were interacting with one another in a really cool way. I really like how they kind of went a little bit more advanced with some of the virtual settings. They did keep some like with the Holy Heroes, they did keep kind of that space the same, but I love the way that the Batman kind of had its own little world and the Black Adam had it and, and some of the, the the Superman panels had it as well. There was really some cool things that they really put in advance ahead of this DC fandom that they I'm sure they learned upon last year as well. So for the most part, the DC fandom overall was a little bit dull of an event. But again, the things that we got, even though I wish we got more, was exciting in the moment to really get people amped up for what's to come in the next year or so. So to kind of go through some of the of, of the panels that we got, we got, again, a lot of the movie panels were dedicated towards really kind of the entire 2022 slate on things that they're working on right now, whether they're in production or in the early stages of post-production right now. And then we also talked about Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which is coming out in 2023. So those are the films that they really kind of focused on. And then they also focused on some of the early HBO shows and movies that we're going to be getting next year. So there's definitely some things that they look forward to the very, very future, but a lot of it was to the immediate kind of, of present that we're going to be experiencing in the next year or so, because we don't have any more DC stuff in terms of movies or television within the DCU moving forward after the Suicide Squad came out. But we're going to be starting in early January, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and everything coming out in the next year is really what was dedicated towards this fandom. And again, it all started out with talking about Black Adam. And so that was really kind of the first thing that kicked everything off for DC fandom. And this again, this was one where at last year's fandom, we learned some more about the cast and there was that really cool kind of concept art trailer kind of giving background to the Black Adam character, but there was no footage shot. Nothing was in production yet. They were still in the early stages of pre-pro and they finally, they, they finished shooting everything and Dwayne Johnson was kind of out front and center talking about it, which was really kind of cool to hear. And we learned more about the cast. We got some cool BTS featurettes, which was really kind of of a 
mainstay within the DC fandom and, and some of these panels and the fact that there was a lot of kind of BTS featurettes before going into the panels and this was kind of set the trend for that where we kind of got some cool looks at the, the Justice Society of America and also kind of showcase some things of the uh, of, of the superheroes like like Hawkman and and Dr. Manhattan and, and all these different kinds of, of, of characters that we're going to be getting in this film and to see kind of some of the costumes and learn a little bit more about the characters and kind of some BTS of the actual filming of the of the movie was really, really kind of cool. And then to hear Dwayne Johnson kind of come out and talk about the film and that they're in post-production right now, that he had a lot of fun making this. He was born to play this character. You know, he was doing kind of the Dwayne Johnson mannerisms, the hype being the hype man that you would expect for this film, which is why you want to put him out front and center because he knows how to promote a movie and sell a great uh, product. And that's what he's doing with this right now. And I think he did a really good job of, of showcasing that and then of course we got Pierce Brosnan talking about the film and this is a guy that was a part of the James Bond franchise for a number of years in the, in the 90s and early 2000s and he, even he was saying that this is something that is bigger than anything he's been a part of which is really exciting the director who's worked with Dwayne Johnson on Jungle Cruise and and they kind of really kind of talked about the set and the vibe that they really kind of had when filming and it was really kind of cool to hear that and then of course what a lot of people wanted to see was already going to get footage and then of course Dwayne Johnson came out with the first couple of minutes of the opening or one of the opening scenes of Black Adam and that was really kind of cool to see as well we were able to see kind of these these I guess treasure hunters in a way they were looking through the tombs I guess of Black Adam where he was buried and then we kind of got to see him be rewoken in a way and then we kind of got to see some of his powers we got a first look at what seems like to be one of the costumes that he's going to be having we didn't kind of see the full Dwayne Johnson look because he had a robe on. You could see that his, his, his head was covered, but the powers were awesome. He was frying this one dude. One minute, this guy is full skin and bones, and then one second he gets electrocuted, and then he's just basically all skeleton, top to bottom. And so I think it showcased the cool powers, and, and, and seeing just already what the VFX are going to look like is really cool. So nothing that was really kind of, of in-depth about any of this, but I think it was a really cool way to kind of kick everything off with DC fandom and again what I've liked to learn a lot about more about this film yes because it is coming out on July 29th which is it's still a little ways away but again you're hoping to get some more stuff hopefully in the next couple of months with this film at the end of this year only six months away so we hope to see more, but I think for a first look to get people excited, this was definitely a great way to kick off the event. And then, of course, also to kind of get a little taste of what we're going to be getting with this film because it's been a, a long time coming. This has been a movie that was in pre-production for years when the initial launch of the DCEU was happening. And Black Adam was one that people were excited about, but it went through pre-production hell. It went through different directors, different writers. People didn't know if Dwayne Johnson was going to continue to do this because he's been attached for so many years. But they finally got it done, and it seems like it could be a really cool, crazy ride that we're going to be on with this character. And it seems like he is going to fit somewhat in the DCEU, or if anything, he'll be in the Shazam part of that universe. So I think it'll be a nice little kind of connected tissue that we'll be getting with this film. And that even though a lot of these films feel standalone right now, maybe there's not a grand Marvel Cinematic Universe plan that DC is initially doing right now. But to have little connected tissues throughout 
I think would be really, really, really cool to see. And I think Black Adam is going to be one of those films that showcases that. And then going from Black Adam, we went to Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, which was kind of the next big movie panel that we got at Fandom. And this one is still in production right now, so there was really no there was no big scene that was really kind of revealed to us. There was no trailer, no teaser, anything like that. But we did get some awesome BTS behind-the-scenes footage of this film, kind of some really cool, amazing concept art of some of the visuals that James Wan, who's returning to direct and his crew, are hoping to accomplish with this film. They also kind of talked about the, the scope of this film, how even as epic as the first movie was, this one is going to somehow top that. And there, it seems like this is going to be another globe-trotting event times two where they're going to be going obviously in, into the sea, but to all these ice worlds and, 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 and to all these different kind of landscapes that just look beautiful and gorgeous. And we did get confirmation that Yahya Abdul-Mateen II will be coming back as Black Adam. Now, will he be the full-on villain after being kind of a secondary one in the first Aquaman? Who knows? But kind of see Seeing the behind-the-scenes footage and the pictures of what what Black Manta looks like, it definitely feels more of a comic-accurate portrayal and, and, and a look than what he had in the first movie. But he looks badass, and you're, we have Patrick Wilson back, we have Amber Heard back, we have all these people back that were a part of the first film, and it just looks awesome and grand and globe in scale. And and the producers addressed that where they said we're the only DCEU film to gross and be the highest-grossing. DCEU film over a billion dollars at the box office. Nobody expected that to happen at the time when this came out in 2018, but they, they realized that and they realized what fans loved about that first movie and it seems like they are really kind of honing in on those positive aspects and timesing them by a hundred it seems like and really doing some awesome awesome things in the locations that they're going to. James Wan is, is an amazing creative director and he's not just a horror guy even though he's notorious for that now, but You've seen what he does in Furious 7. You saw what he did in the first Aquaman. This is a guy that knows how to direct blockbusters now, and he does a fantastic job in just delivering fun, entertaining rides, and it seems like that is what they're going for with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. So that was really kind of really cool to see, and knowing that the story is going to have global stakes, it's going to deal with environmental issues and, and things like that. The, the costumes look cool. The tech looks awesome and, and, and imp- improved and, and updated to kind of feature on that bigger scale that they're trying to go for, and it was confirmed that they are going for a December 2022 release date, which is right in line with what the the success that the first film had in 2018 of December. So it seems like they're trying to strike lightning in a bottle again, trying to strike gold again, and we'll see if they're able to do that. But as a first impression, again, at last year's DC fandom, there was more of kind of like a recap of the first Aquaman, a little preview of what we're going to get with Aquaman 2. But this was a full-blown look at what they're doing with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and it looks great. So I'm really excited to see a trailer hopefully in the next year or so because I want to be surprised if we don't get something until maybe early next year or into the middle of the summer next year where we'll officially get our first look at Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. But so far, so good. And I really like what I'm seeing from that movie. And then after that, again, it was kind of like a little bit of a lull point within the DC fandom after Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. There was a great kind of first hour where all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't, even though I, I harped on it in earlier when I was saying that there was, it felt long and dragged on, somehow the first hour did kind of go by a little fast because we were kind of banging out some of these big movie projects. But again, there then there became this 
this little lull in between. And then it kind of slowed down a little bit until we got to kind of a, a recap of the Suicide Squad leading into the next adventure in that part of the universe. And that, of course, is the first DCEU spinoff show, which will be premiering on HBO Max, confirmed now for January 13th. And that, of course, is a John Cena-led Peacemaker spinoff show. And this is another one where we've heard a lot of stuff. James Gunn has been putting a lot of BTS stuff on his social media in the last couple of months while they've been filming and they're in post-production now. And of course, he couldn't really say anything about the, the project because at the time before Suicide Squad came out on August 5th, you didn't know what was going to happen with the character. We didn't know that this was going to be a prequel if he was going to die off or this was going to be a sequel. And then, of course, when you do see Suicide Squad, you realize that this is going to be some kind of a, of a sequel of sorts. And no, we didn't really know a lot of the, the, the plot, the story, the universe. What's this going to entail? And we all kind of got that in this Peacemaker panel. And this was one of the ones that kind of went back to the kind of Zoom call, everyone's in different locations kind of panel in a way. And I do got to say, overall for a panel, I think when we talk about stuff that was explained that felt like a panel, this is probably the most, the, the best panel that happened on on the front uh, where, where you talk about what, what the production was like and it, it, it felt like you were part of some kind of virtual panel that was going on. But I, I did feel like I wasn't really learning anything until the second half of this panel where we kind of talked about some of the new characters that were going on. There We got our first look officially at Vigilante. They, they were talking about this brand new character that James Gunn completely created specifically for this show. And it seemed like a lot of people are excited for what she's going to bring to the table. Her character's name is Aboaway, and it seems like she's like a brand new character that's a part of this universe, and they loved what she was able to do. So it was kind of really kind of a love fest at first of, of really kind of showcasing this character. But then towards the, the, the second half of the panel, we really kind of got into what this show is, is going to be about and and really kind of talking about how how where this character is going from here because this is really kind of a an anti-hero in a way he's not somebody that is a hero even though what he thinks he's doing is the right thing but he's not a complete villain at all at the same time and i loved what james gunn did in, in the suicide squad film where jane john cena played him with a lovable sense but at the same time he played him as a dark darker, meaner kind of character when it needed to get serious. And so I'm excited to see kind of how that will translate through and maybe Peacemaker will be experiencing ramifications of some of the actions he took in the Suicide Squad film. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And they talked about it, how some of these characters just think that Peacemaker is, is just this douchebag, but this one new character is able to kind of relate to him in a way and sees like a sadness in him. And it's really kind of, of seeing kind of that and also showcasing how really it's really kind of a, a an original origin superhero kind of show in a way that nobody else was able to do and then James Gunn kind of got to talk about his role in this and now this is really kind of a truly original superhero show and then he was able to kind of like he did with Suicide Squad do whatever he really wanted to do and he even said kind of in the panel I'm paraphrasing a little bit but that he was shocked that Warner Brothers still allowed him to do the things that he wanted to do in this show so if anything if we, we are going to get anywhere 
more of kind of the, the bonkers, crazy stuff that we got in the Suicide Squad and this. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with this show? And it's not like James Gunn is a producer on this either because sometimes you'll have people who make a project, but then there'll be a, a, an executive producer, a producer, and kind of help to oversee this world, but don't really have their hands dirty in other parts of the universe. But James Gunn is really hands-on with this project. He's the showrunner. He's a director on five of the episodes. It was confirmed there are going to be eight episodes in total. He's directing five. He dire- he wrote all eight scripts for this show. So he was really, really hands-on with the making of this project. And he, they kind of described it as a workplace comedy that has these kind of characters in in a comic book world infused within them. It's like The Office meets the superhero world. That's how they kind of described it. And there's going to be great character arcs throughout, like James Gunn said. And knowing knowing James Gunn, and even though he has all this kind of raunchy, crazy humor and just craziness happen within these worlds, there's a heart to a lot of the James Gunn projects that he does. And The Suicide Squad was no different, even though it's on another level than what he did with Guardians and Guardians 2 in terms of being more mature and more adult, it still kind of had those same features that we knew from James Gunn all along. And and I think that's exactly what we're going to get with this with this show. And then, of course, it all ended off with a quote-unquote teaser trailer, even though this trailer was almost three minutes long. It was kind of our first taste of what we're going to get with this show. We've gotten a few clips here and there in the last couple of weeks in promoting HBO Max, but this was really kind of our first true look at the story, the characters, where Peacemaker is going, introducing all these new characters, this new world, introducing a vigilante, all this different kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed the trailer. It it seems fun and bombastic. And again, everything that you would want from James Gunn, it seems like James Gunn was able to do with this show. And I'm really excited for it. Again, it comes out January 13th. So now HBO and, and Warner Media and DC are going to be trying to get into the the streaming show madness that Marvel just did with WandaVision coming out in early January. I'm sure DC is hoping to capitalize on that in the same kind of fashion, maybe as even though this is a little bit more mature than what WandaVision was experiencing as well. But overall, I really like the trailer. I love the the tone of it. I, seeing John Cena kind of sing with just his his his, his tidy whiteies on is hysterical. And it just seems like a lot of fun. And Cena's having a lot of fun. And I'm excited to see what he does with this character. Especially now that he's kind of in his own solo show. He's got to carry this thing. And I think the one thing for John Cena is that in a lot of the movies that he's done, he's been a part of great ensembles. Again, you just go back to The Suicide Squad, obviously. He had a gr- he was great in that movie, but he didn't have to carry all of it on his own. He had Margot Robbie, Idris Elbus there, Joel Kinnaman. He had a great supporting cast around him. And then, of course, being in F9, it wasn't he wasn't the one that had to really kind of carry it. He had Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese, Luda, Natalie Manuel. He had all these people to help him carry this movie to carry F9, and you can look at blockers, you can look at all the films that really John Cena has done. This is his really kind of first solo vehicle by himself, and I'm really curious to see how he carries it, how we can maybe 
go about with eight hours of this character, and if he's really able to kind of draw us in completely with Peacemaker. So I'm really interested and intrigued in this show. Again, James Gunn really sold me on it no matter what, and I love what Cena has done with his career. It really seems to be kind of evolving, and it would be kind of pretty cool that to see two of the biggest wrestling stars maybe down the line kind of go toe-to-toe with one another. Even one is just a is a homicidal maniac and one's a, 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 a god, basically. It would still be really kind of cool to see both of those guys maybe down the line team up or go up against one another would be really, really kind of cool. So we'll see if that ever comes to fruition. But for, for John Cena and, and, and this crew, I was really happy with the trailer. And again, I liked, uh, I liked maybe half of what the panel was able to do with Peacemaker. Again, I think I think it was a little rough in the beginning, but I think it picked up a lot in, in giving details with this show at the second half of the panel. So I, I at least like the fact that they did do a panel and they actually talked about the show, especially because this is, it's gonna be the first thing that comes out of the DCEU starting next year. So you want people to get excited about it. People don't know what it's about and you wanna talk about it. So I think that doing what they did with it was really, really, really exciting. And I think it was a great kind of example of what I wanted all the DC fandom to really kind of be. And and this was really kind of the one thing that had kind of a full-on panel, maybe other than the Batman, really, in terms of the movie aspect of things and even the television aspect of some things, too. I, I was really happy that this had a panel, whereas with the next thing that appeared at DC fandom that got people talking, it was just a quick teaser, and, and that was it. And that, of course, is the brand new The Flash movie. And this was the one that I was more most looking forward to the panel for or what we were going to get my, over the Batman and you all know how much I'm looking forward to the Batman and of course we'll talk about what we got with that in a little bit but I was looking to learn more about the Flash and I wanted to kind of have something like what Matt Reeves did last year and I think that's what I was hoping for a lot of these panels to be where you talk about the movie, you talk about the, it could be Andy Muschietti, it could be Muschietti and Ezra Miller, you could have maybe my King come in, or Sasha Kelly, learn about her Supergirl, but we didn't get any of that. We got kind of Ezra Miller in front of the set, and we're like really the background of a set that was all dark. He said, "Hey guys, we're still in the middle of production. Can't show you anything. Can't can't let can't talk about anything." But we did get, and here's a little teaser of the Flash. And while the teaser itself was exciting. You, you wanted to learn more, especially because I think the ramifications of this movie and how it's going to completely alter the franchise moving forward is huge. And even though this film is coming out as of right now in November of 2022, we still don't know anything about it. And it's so shrouded in secrecy that I think we if we could just learn a little bit more about it, when are you going to get an opportunity to talk about that? Are you going to do it in a magazine cover? Are you going to do it at an event? What are you, how are you, where else are you going to have the opportunity where you have the space to talk about this film and so to me it left me a little disappointed that even though we got an awesome teaser like a like it was like a minute and 10 seconds it was i wish we still got more and i was really excited about it and it left me a little empty again even though we got something really cool it left me at the end a little empty that we didn't get anything more that we could have gotten with with this panel and talking about the teaser i thought it was awesome i think it, it laid out if you're talking about just being a teaser getting you excited we had the voiceover michael keaton back we had the danny elfman score sprinkled in there 
throughout. It seems like we have two Ezra Millers, or not Ezra Miller. Well, we do have two Ezra Millers, but two Barry Allens. We see one glimpse of Sasha Callie as Supergirl. We see kind of the silhouette of Keaton's Batman, which is really what kind of broke the internet. One of the Batman-isms that broke the internet that day. And that part of it was exciting. But again, you wish that you just got a little bit more. And I think in terms of a teaser, getting you excited, that did its job. And in the moment, it was exciting. But when you think about the possibilities of what they could have accomplished with this panel, I do think that it was a little bit of a of a missed opportunity that they really could have could have gone for a little bit more and I don't know if that's because of timing in terms of the show or maybe they didn't really didn't have anything to offer or maybe the VFX work really wasn't fully done at all and they didn't really want to show anything that really wasn't fully finished yet I really don't know and, and you also have to keep in mind too that I I myself have to do it too in terms of that this was something that was pre-recorded probably maybe weeks ago a month ago and they, they maybe at the time they didn't really have anything that was going on with this. So because what's funny is that in the teaser trailer too, it said that the, the Flash, it was in production at the very end of the tag. It said in production, didn't give a date or anything. And then a day or two after DC fandom, Andy Muschietti announced that filming had wrapped. So I'm sure when they crafted this thing, they were probably still a month or so away from wrapping everything with principal photography. And so maybe they just didn't have anything to show at that time. Again, I, I don't know, but I definitely think that they could have showed a lot more and done a lot more with with this panel. So that to me was a little bit of a of a disappointment. But again, getting the teaser itself, seeing Keaton's Batman back, the voiceover of Keaton, seeing Wayne Manor and all that, that was awesome to see. And even still, not getting anything with this really, I'm still excited to see what we're gonna, what's to come with the Flash. It's still one of my most potentially anticipated films of next year. And I think that again, it didn't leave me as satisfied as the Batman panel did last year in terms of being the one that I was looking forward to the most. But again, the, the, the little footage that we got was exciting and I think that'll hold people over for a little bit because again, this film isn't coming out for well over a year now. There's still a lot more that can come. But in terms of capitalizing on this opportunity, definitely think that they could have done a lot more with that. And then of course, kind of in now 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 we're in the middle of this panel. We got more into some of the HBO Max stuff. We got some details about Blue Beetle and they're kind of in the pre-production phase of that. They showed off the costume which looks really cool, the kind of the concept art of what of what the costume will look like. That was really kind of cool. And then we got some information on Batgirl. Not a whole lot, but we got kind of I guess a reconfirmation of anything that Leslie Leslie Grace who is incredible in in the Heights is going to be playing Barbara Gordon and they kind of describe Barbara Gordon as being kind of a, a girly girl but she's strong and determined and she this is kind of again the origin story of her becoming Batgirl and she, she, Leslie Grace kind of talked about the physicality and that she's training really hard and that she's working every day to kind of get into that physicality as well of playing Batgirl and of course looking at the script as well and they did say that Batgirl instead of kind of having because sometimes in the comics and sometimes in the, in the, the, the television shows as well she would just kind of have the IP she wouldn't have like a full cow and the directors of this movie said that she will actually kind of have a cow like Batman usually 
usually does in in the movie. So they're going to be going full cowl. And they did say that Barbara Gordon is going to have red hair. She's not going to have kind of a, a brunette or, or, or kind of like a darker hair color that's more natural to what Leslie Grace has, whether it's a wig or if they're going to, if Leslie Grace is going to go above and beyond the measure and dye her own hair red, which I would give her major props for. But I wouldn't be surprised me if it was probably a wig, but she is going to have red hair. That's going to be really interesting to see how that all kind of plays out. But it looks interesting. And they had a concept art of, of, a, of an awesome shot of a concept art piece of Batgirl kind of on this gargoyle. And she's looking out to the city. It looked really cool. So again, there it seems like they're in still the early stages of, of making this film. That doesn't seem like they're anywhere near principal photography yet. And again, it seems like this film's coming out in 2022 of next year. So I'm sure we'll probably get more information down the line. But what we got, again, wish we got maybe more casting announcements, a reconfirmation that maybe J.K. Simmons is going to be coming back as Commissioner Gordon. Who knows? But uh, again, what we got was cool. Nothing really that blew my socks off, but... It got me interested a little bit more in what we'll be getting with with Batgirl. And then we went back over to the movie side of things, and I think we got a really cool exploration of the brand new Shazam film, Shazam Fury of the Gods. And kind of like last year, Aquaman and Shazam kind of followed one another where it was kind of a celebration of the first movies and a little tease of what we were going to get with the next film. And at last year's DC fandom, we did get the announcement that Sinbad was going to join the cast and that Shazam 2 was going to be called Shazam Fury of the Gods. Now, again, kind of like Aquaman and Lost Kingdom this year, fast forward the same thing with Shazam 2. They are now in production. I believe they just wrapped maybe a couple weeks ago on, on principal photography, but they kind of had the same thing where they had a BTS reel of what is going to be coming with this with this movie and they talked about how the fate of the world is in Shazam with this film and it seems like I think one of the things about the first Shazam that a lot of people liked was even though it was about this god, this demigod, it felt very small in scale and that it wasn't this big epic film, but it was it was a family movie and it was very limited in the scope that it was really kind of going for. Whereas this one, it seems like they really are going above and beyond and it seems like it's going to be going from the streets of Philadelphia to the, to the walls of Mount Olympus and all of these just grand places that it seems like they're really expanding the scope of this film and we did get confirmation that Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren will be playing the primary villains of this film. They'll be playing the goddesses Calypso and also I believe it's Hera as well. So those are the two main villains that we're going to be getting with this film. And we got some cool shots of both of them in their costumes, kind of showcasing their powers and things like that. And that was really, really kind of cool to see. We got to see all the, the kids as adults in their full costumes. And they kind of talked about that, how the costumes have evolved since the first film. They're a little bit different than when what we got in 2019 so that's really kind of the cool things that we got the action sequences from the bts reel looked really really cool we got some first looks at rachel zegler in the film it seems like she's going to be playing jack dylan grazier's kind of maybe love interest or friend that they that he befriends in high school and it seems like she comes along for the ride as well so while there was speculation that maybe she could be playing a villain it seems like she could be more on the side of shazam and billy and his friends than than with the the 
antagonist. But again, it could be a, a way to throw us off. Maybe there's something else that's going on. But it seems like that's where she's alleging herself to right now. And again, the world exploration looks really, really cool. So again, like Aquaman, even though it wasn't as big and bold, the first Shazam movie as the first Aquaman was, and it seems like they're just going balls to the walls with the second Aquaman movie. This one is, is a, a nice gradual expansion of a, a, a more limited film that had a limited scope. And this one is able to kind of fully realize, okay, this is the stuff that we can go for now. We can include things that people liked, but we can take risks in places that maybe we couldn't take in the first film. And that's the, the great thing about a sequel. Now, whether that hits or not, that's for the audience members to decide when people see the film, when it finally comes out. But in terms of coming up with something bigger and bolder, that is usually what you do with sequels. And it seems like that is exactly the formula that Shazam Fury of the Gods is taking. So... I thought towards, again, towards the tail end, it really kind of, DC Phantom really kind of picked back up again, and it was really kind of the penultimate panel for what was going to be the finale, and and DC was banking on this, I think, and it worked last year for them, and it certainly worked again this year for them, and they saved truly the best for last, and that, of course, was the panel for the Batman, and people were wondering, and, and I was one of those people, too, is of, will they release this, will this be one of the first panels to come out, will this be the the last one will be in the middle. And I think when you look at the entire DC fandom as a whole, it made sense to put this thing at the very end because everyone's looking forward to seeing the new trailer after not having anything since last year's DC fandom on August 22nd when we got that amazing teaser trailer that was only 20 to 20 to 30% of shot material before the pandemic shot that shut that production down and people were buzzing about that. So again, imagine now a fully completed production. Reshoots have already been given. This film's only a few months away from from dropping in theaters. What are we going to be getting with this? And there was some great posters that came out. There were some great little teaser images from Matt Reeves. People were excited about this. And and I think DC did the right thing because if this thing was in the middle or even in the beginning, I don't think a lot of people would have stayed to watch everything else. So it made sense for people to, to have them put this at the very end. And they really went all out for this last one, even so much as to change the actual virtual landscape where we weren't kind of in the Hall of Heroes anymore. We were in kind of the Wayne Terminus, the AKA the Batcave, a virtual outing of that. And then we had kind of two or three panels where Robert Pattinson appeared, Matt Reeves, and Zoe Kravitz, and they talked about the film. And it wasn't kind of the... In terms of the panel portion, I still rather loved the, I think the the first one, just because, again, we had no idea what this film was going to be. We had no idea what to expect from this Matt Reeves film. But in terms of the panel itself, the first one was a lot better just because I realized how knowledgeable Matt Reeves is with the Batman and that he's a fan and he gets it. And that obviously came across in the first teaser trailer. And so with the panel stuff itself, uh, I knew what Matt Reeves' mindset already was going into this. But to kind of hear Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz and to hear more about the the dynamics and the differences between this version of Bruce Wayne and Batman and also Selina Kyle because even we've seen a lot of adaptations of Batman but we've also seen a lot of adaptations of Selina Kyle and Catwoman so that's another one where how are you going to differentiate what we got in before with Michelle Pfeiffer and Anne Hathaway and how they were able to kind of come across and talk about these two is was amazing and and I think it's clear in the trailer, which I'll talk about in just a minute, but it's clear when you when you hear Robert Pattinson and Selena Kyle talk that they really get Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne, aka Batman as well, just as much as Matt Reeves does. And it seems like 
they both are major, major components of this movie, and especially the Selena Kai relationship. And it's so much so that for Zoe Kravitz, it seemed like Robert Pattinson was already casted. And then for kind of a, a few final chemistry tests to cast Selena Kyle, they brought Zoe Kravitz back and they saw the chemistry between the two of them. And that's why they were able to cast Zoe Kravitz as well. And they love what she was able to bring as well. And for Matt Reeves, he even kind of talked about more of Robert Pattinson playing the part of, of Batman. And he talked about how he knew with the eyeline makeup when he took off the mask, kind of in that final shot of the teaser trailer where you see kind of the, the eyeliner and the mask is off of Robert Pattinson. And that's something we haven't seen in a Batman movie yet. He knew right then and there that, that this was his Batman and that he had done the right job, the right job and the right choice of making this guy his Batman for this universe. And I loved also how for Robert Pattinson, he talked about, and I think this was a great setup for what we got in the trailer, was talking about the the, the, psyche, the the psyche of Batman and the fact that even though we're in year two and he's been Batman for a little bit, he still doesn't know how to how to differentiate between Bruce Wayne and Batman and both of them kind of blend together in some kind of a way and he's somebody who is enraged and he doesn't know how to define who the Batman is yet and who Bruce Wayne is at the same time and I think one of the great things about what Ben Affleck's Batman did so incredibly well was that it was able to define who the man was and and who the mask was and Bruce Wayne was the mask, Batman was the was the true person and 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 I think Matt Reeves took a little bit of that and so did Robert Pattinson and they applied it to this but they're giving it a little bit more edge to it and a little bit more uh, that sanding off needs to happen at this young age for Bruce and it, I think that's really exciting and it sounds like Matt Reeves said that he had got a flow of Batman as the filming went on and Zoe Kravitz went to say that she didn't want Selena Kyle to be an idea she wanted her to be an actual human being that had feelings and emotions it wasn't just some cat burglar and so I think that is something different that we're going to be getting with this film. And of course, it always leading up to the big moment of finally unveiling the first really official trailer of the Batman. And I got to say, it, it took my breath away when I watched it. I was just in complete and utter dumbfoundedness of just how phenomenal the trailer was. And again, I said before that Batman was my most anticipated film just off of that that first teaser trailer alone. You didn't need to show me anything else. I was already on board. I think a lot of people felt that way as well. And that whatever we got next was just icing on the cake. And this was icing on the cake times 10. This thing was shot beautifully by, by Greg Frazier, who also just did Dune, which I'm really excited to see this weekend. And it just brought just such an incredible, just an incredible version of just of, of imagery and, and some of the, the, the actual shots were just phenomenal. I mean, the ending shot upside down where, where you see the silhouette figure of Batman, the fire's burning. He's walking up to, to Oswald Cobblepot's car, which by the way, Colin Farrell, I mean, talk about somebody who's doing a chameleon performance. He, you don't even know that's Colin Farrell. It's just, it's. I cannot wait to see what, what Colin Farrell does with this Penguin, with this Oswald Cobblepot. And I can understand why Matt Reeves and DC and Warner Brothers would want to do a spinoff show off of that character. I want to see more of him right away. I can't wait to see what he does in this film. But also seeing the relationship between Selena Kyle and Batman. It seems like this is... 
this is a, a Selena Kyle that this Batman and Bruce Wayne actually care for. And we're going to get a relationship that blossoms out of this. And, and I'm really excited to see that. And then, of course, being able to also do what made the first trailer so great, which is kind of ground this and make it basically seem like David Fincher and the Batman. And Batman had a baby, and it's named the Batman. And that's exactly what it continues to show as well. I love the fact that this version of the Riddler is going to be kind of like the Zodiac Killer, a serial killer in that same vein that seems awesome it the costume looks amazing the action looks just on point fantastic the fighting sequences they were great in that teaser they're just amplified in this one it just it, there was no wrong turn with this trailer whatsoever it didn't give a lot away i was a little worried when i heard the runtime was going to be around 230 because knowing warner brothers and dc even though they've gotten better with some of their trailers even though some of them are long but they don't show a whole lot they've gotten better about that over the last couple of years but I was a little worried that maybe we'll get some spoilers here and there. We didn't. They, if anything, they just kept teasing stuff and teasing stuff. And, and, and I don't know how this thing is going to be two and a half hours, how they're going to tell it. But I am just so excited. And the music just is so, so good. I cannot wait to hear the full score from Michael Giacchino. That Batman theme that came in at the very end just, I think, amplified the experience of this trailer and seeing it for the first time and just hearing that just blare out. That is such a good Batman score. I cannot wait to hear it keeping the, the Nirvana cover of, of Something to Remember Me. I that was such a great music choice for the first trailer, and I'm excited they kept some of it for the beginning. And, and as the trailer goes on, and as I kept watching it and watching it and watching it, just on repeat, on repeat, it really kind of builds itself up. It, it's a great piece of art, this trailer, in general. It just it builds itself up slowly but surely until it reaches that crescendo point at the very, very end where you see Batman just walking up to the car, and that upside down shot and Robert Pattinson listen I know people had concerns about him from the beginning when he was casted I did not I've been on the Robert Pattinson train from the very beginning even though like I've said if I could get another Ben Affleck movie a Ben Affleck show I want more Ben Affleck Batman but again if I could get a compensation it's a Matt Reeves Batman and I love the casting choice that they made with Robert Pattinson and he's proving I think a lot of people wrong that didn't like the casting choice that he seems like he fits this role this version of what they want Batman to be this unhinged character, this brute force, and it just looks awesome. From the casting is just spot on. The direction by Matt Reeves. I loved the, the Dawn of the, the the Planet of the Apes trilogy that came out in his last two movies. Just amplified how great of a trilogy that really is. He's an, a phenomenal director, and like I said last year, and I said it this year when when they talked about the panel. This guy knows his Batman, and I think he crafted everything we loved about Batman over the years, from the Burton films to the Nolan movies to even some things taken out of Ben Affleck's performance in Snyder's movies, and he's blending it all together to create something that's new and different, and in a day and age when Batman is one of the biggest IPs, where it's bankable wherever you go, but you, you have so much turnaround in all these different universes with Batman, that somehow he's able to create something different and new and exciting that have people really, really looking forward to what he's doing with this new Batman film and this universe. And I'm so excited and I can understand why the thing that's different about this too is the fact that it seems like Warner Brothers and DC want to make this into a solo Batman universe. And I'm excited about that. Even though I love shared cinematic universes, I love that it, right now it seems like this is just going to be strictly about Batman. We're going to be getting a GCPD show, a potential a Penguin show, which again, 
after seeing Colin Farrell, sign me up for it. And we're going to be getting potentially just two more sequels with these characters and and, and wondering where the story's going to go. I'm so excited to see that Matt Reeves has a vision for this. And it's, it's exciting, man. After so many years of waiting for this film, because even with ba- when Ben Affleck left, this was something that was always ongoing. Will this film ever actually get off the ground? When will Matt Reeves be done? And man, did he, does he look like he hit a home run. He hits, it looks like he hit something out of the park. And again, the movie could be awful. But man, those, two great pieces of marketing so far with the Batman. I love what they've done. I love the red that Matt Reeves is exploring with this. That definitely has that noir feeling. It, again, I said it's like David Fincher and Batman. The comics made a baby and it's called the Batman. It looks great. I cannot wait. Again, if, if this wasn't already my most anticipated film, it already is now. And, it, and last year already became my number one of 2022. So I'm psyched for this movie. Cannot wait. Now that Doctor Strange, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is moved off of, 20, of March of 2022. It has all of March to himself. This could be a major, major film coming out next year in 2022. But I love the Batman trailer. I love the panel. And again, I think it ended what was a little bit of an overwhelming day. It ended on one hell of a bang. And again, I love what they did with the Batman. I don't know if they do this again next year, what they will potentially have to follow this up if they do do another DC fandom or not. But I think, again, for what this was able to do, it's very, very, very exciting, and I cannot wait. But overall, I thought DC fandom as a whole, even though it started off really well and it ended incredibly well with the Batman, overall, it was a little bit of an underwhelming day considering what we got earlier last year with DC fandom. So again, some of the panels were cool, but overall, a little bit underwhelming. So what did you guys think overall? about DC fandom. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. What was your favorite panel? What was your favorite moment? Was it the Batman trailer? Was it any of the footage that we saw for Black Adam or Shazam? excuse me, Shazam or or Aquaman, or was it the Flash teaser that we got? Was it something else? Was it Peacemaker, uh, Renew Titan Season 4, any, any Renew abilities, any of the CW shows? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. All right, so moving away now from DC fandom and the recap that I just did there, I want to kind of go to the television world for a second and do a little quick review on the premiere episode of Succession Season 3, which debuted last Sunday night. And I was somebody who was late to the Succession train. It was one of my quarantine binge watches that I did last year, and I fell in love with this show and was hoping we would get a Season 3 sooner rather than later. It's been a long time coming. It's been two years since the season two finale in 2019 and even though it's been two years it feels like it's been two days since we've gotten an episode of succession it just picks up right where we leave off in season two the season two finale all the bombshells that we got the twists and turns and it keeps on coming with this episode the writing is just so crisp what jesse armstrong does is just absolutely incredible in the writing of these characters and 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 their motives it just continues to twist and turn and i just think that it is an incredible setup for what we're going to get in season three all, all the alliances all the portrayals and brian cox just continues to be brian cox as logan roy he just nails it same thing with jeremy strong as kendall roy and, and everyone else on the on the ensemble just continues to put their best foot forward and again it seems like no time passed whatsoever and literally in the show itself it just takes place mere hours or minutes after the the finale of season two and again within that time frame 
not not no beats are different it doesn't seem like oh it's it they're they're gaining they're they're swiping off a little rust from being off for so long didn't feel like that whatsoever so i'm excited to see what we get in season three this was a great way to kind of set things up for moving forward and i'm really really looking forward to seeing the rest of season three i probably won't talk about every single episode as i do like weekly recaps for other ones i'll probably do a mid-season one once we get to like episode five or six i'll probably do a little bit of a recap of, of what i initially thought of the first half of the show and then afterwards I'll do a a full kind of season three review once the finale has aired but a great start so far and I'm really looking forward to seeing what we get with the rest of season three of Succession. Now moving from Succession and from HBO and from DC to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. While over this weekend, we did get some great stuff happening in the future of the DC universe, we're still in the present right now. And in the present, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is still king. And it just feels like not even a month ago, it really was a month ago almost, honestly, probably two months when it comes out, since we got the latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And now we are just a mere couple of weeks away from the release of the 30th overall installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It will be the 26th film in the MCU after Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, after Black Widow came out in July of this year, and it will be the long-awaited release of Marvel Studios' Eternals, which is written directed by Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao and stars a fantastic ensemble that includes Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Angelina Jolie, Brian Tyree Henry, Kumel Nanjiani, Kit Harington. I could go on and on and on about the cast of this movie, but it's just absolutely stellar and diverse, and the trailers have looked really good for it so far. But it seems like we finally have had the world premiere for Eternals as we usually do. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, a little bit, how do I put this? It is definitely not the traditional window that Marvel has put out for their films. Usually, it's about two two weeks or so, and then before the release of the actual film here in the United States, until in about two weeks before we get the reviews, the social media embargoes, and it was about a week a week earlier even. So it's about three weeks before release of this movie that we are getting the official kind of word about the film and again this is one that people really were pegging as maybe being a potential awards contender with the diversity and range that this film has and people finally got to see this film is this really going to be a game changer for the Marvel Cinematic Universe how does somebody like Chloe Zhao do in this world this is really kind of her first major feature outside of the small indies that she has done like The Rider and Nomadland which was of course the best picture winner at last year's Oscars going from those small films to all of a sudden doing one a film in the biggest franchise in the world right now how does that kind of transition go and it seems like the transition was seamless and coming out of this movie for the most part again like a lot of marvel films mostly positive high praise is coming out for eternals i almost said nomadland but for eternals right now and so we had the stunning premiere over the weekend and of course that came with a lot of reviews and we're going to get into some of the reviews right now. And this comes from us starting off with our the, some people over at Collider, starting out with Perry Nemiroff, who says, Eternals is a dense and I felt the weight of the exposition often. Movies at its best when the focus is on the Eternals recreating
between their family and the humor of it and the passion when they are fighting for each other and the things they love. Also, Angelina Jolie in the MCU is everything. Then Steve Weintraub over at Collider says, my favorite part of Marvel movies is how they consistently manage to find new ways to tell their stories. Eternals is beautifully shot and looks very different than previous MCU films. Story surprised me with some of the twists and turns. The two after the credit scenes are fire. Fire. And he put the emoji fire in there. And then moving over to John Roca, who says Eternals is a stunningly gorgeous movie that that further cements Chloe Zhao as a visually enthralling filmmaker. But there is a coldness or distance here with a lack of organic chemistry between these characters as a team that left me unmoved by it all. Seeing it again tomorrow. Hector Navarro says, I fell in love with Eternals tonight. It's a beautiful translation of the original Jack Kirby comic concepts, and it lets us sit with the characters and their emotions maybe more than any other MCU film. It's truly epic. It's really gorgeous. Its trailers haven't done it justice. Then Drew Taylor says, Eternals breaks new ground for the MCU, not in all the ways you're expecting alternating between beautiful and baffling epic and intimate it's a movie of huge ideas where the sentiment often matters more than anything going on in the story i can't wait to see it again and then moving on to Wendy Lizani, who says, Eternals is the most different entry in the MCU filmography. The film focuses more on the relationships between the characters rather than action scenes, which is refreshing. Chloe Zhao's vision and style really comes through. And then moving on down, we're going to go over to Eric Davis over at Frandango. Our very good friend Eric Davis got to see the film on the premiere night. And this is what he had to say about Marvel's Eternals. He says, Marvel's Eternals is spectacularly wild and rich with a new MCU mythology that makes it feel separate from everything else. It's honestly refreshing. There's a bitter sweetness to the film that you feel in its sunset shots, a definite Chloe Zhao touch. It is soulful and thoughtful. There's a lot of story to devour in Eternals. It spans thousands of years, but Zhao does a good job balancing it all. Liam McGuh, Brian Tyree Henry, and Kumail Nanjiani were my faves, but everyone is good and they all have fascinating powers. Some truly great character moments. And then going also over real quick, to another person that works over at Fandango who's a correspondent, and that is the one and only Nikki Novak, who she says, just got out of the Eternals premiere, extraordinary Technicolor world built by Chloe Zhao, gorgeous and ambitious on a level that it's a little mind-boggling. I will be unpacking this movie all night. A major Marvel gear shift, the credits will shock everyone. And, and that's what a lot of people are also talking about this film, are the credits and, and how the, again, we, when we heard about Shang-Chi, a lot of people were talking about the credits as well. So it seems like once again, the MCU as they usually do, are, are really changing the game with some of their credit sequences as well. Though it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, of course, with an MCU film. You, you do take some of the good with the negative, and some people did come out with a less positive experience with Eternals. And this comes from us over at Scott Mendelson, who works over at Forbes, who says, Eternals flirts with being just a superhero movie, but barely gets by on scale. A few affillable actors and some eventual intrigue. At its best, it almost plays like Marvel playing in the DCEU sandbox, but coasting on comparatively generic superhero archetypes. 
And then, of course, Jacqueline Kennedy over at Rotten Tomatoes gave a little bit more of a positive review, saying, after 25 films, Chloe Zhao incredibly took the MCU in an entirely new direction with the Eternals. The franchise has matured, and this is only the beginning of what is possible. An absolutely breathtaking and epic film where Kumail Nanjiani provides the laughs, but Gemma Chan is the heart. So again, some, some negatives, a lot of positives, and it seems like a lot of people, if anything, are praising the visual direction of, of Chloe Zhao. And I think that's something where she was able to do incredible things with her her indie films and showing some breathtaking filmography and iconography. And it seems like she takes that on a whole new blockbuster scale with this film. It seems like people love the cast that's a part of it. It seems like one of the things that I'm a little surprised by is some of the writing and that maybe it's a little bit too dense and that maybe some of the characters aren't as fully fleshed out, which again, it's tough to do when you have an ensemble like this and it's on an ensemble that features 10 to 11 brand new characters that we've never seen before in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And another thing that I've been hearing is the word dense. And, and how dense the story is. And it's something that we haven't really seen in the MCU film beforehand. So that gets me really excited as well. And the fact that this doesn't feel like an MCU film. And sometimes you'll get people that say, oh, this this, this has a different feeling to it. It's, it's a little bit different than something we've experienced in the MCU. And sometimes you'll hear people say that it fits in the MCU. But, but this film, from what I've heard, it, it definitely sounds like it is something different that if you were to look at the tone of the other MCU films, Potentially, this one has something completely different than if, if you were to experience something like Shang-Chi or an, an Avengers movie or Guardians or Thor. And so that, to me, intrigues me a lot. And to hear some DCEU comparisons could be both intriguing but frightening at the same time. But again, if anything, this gets me excited to see the film in a couple weeks. And I'm, I'm hoping to see it a lot sooner. But if I don't, I'll definitely be seeing it on November 5th or November 4th for the Thursday screenings, Thursday night preview screenings. But I was already looking forward to this film, and it's been my most anticipated film of the fall movie season so far, and I'm still excited to go see this film. I think the trailers have really sold me on it, and I'm a big fan of Chloe Zhao, so to see that all coming together is great and exciting. And one other thing that I'll note, too, is... It seems like the MCU is taking risks with this film. And everyone talks about how Chloe Zhao was able to pitch this to Kevin Feige. And I've seen Kevin Feige at a lot of world premieres at Marvel movies. And when he does interviews, he he's happy, you know, he, he's 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 himself and and he, you know, he answers questions, he's excited about people to see the film. But there was something about this premiere when he was being interviewed by Marvel and he was with Chloe Zhao. He just had a different sense of him. He felt, he felt like a giddy kid with this movie and how excited he is and how excited he says he is for people to see what Chloe Zhao has brought to the screen. And, and I've never seen him right alongside a director before because usually at these premieres, the director will be kind of doing their thing, reuniting with the cast. But to be right alongside Kevin Feige like that, I think it shows that they do have a really big, uh, powerful friendship together and that they really did work well together with this movie. And so I'm excited to see what that could translate to moving forward with Eternals and, and, and maybe other things that Chloe Zhao could do in the MCU moving forward. So we'll see what happens. But but I think for Kevin Feige, he's excited about what this could bring. I think he's, he's also excited that he feels like probably he nabbed up a, a diamond in the rough in directing that not a lot of people were looking forward to because you have to remember before Nomadland came out, nobody really knew who Chloe Zhao kind of was other than the film community themselves. 
and she was announced as the director of Eternals in 2019. Nobody knew who Chloe Zhao was. Nobody. And so I think for Kevin Feige, he realizes that he has a unique talent in his arsenal now in the director's canon. He has a lot of those great guys like Taika Waititi, John Watts, James Gunn, the Russo brothers. He's got great directors, but he realizes, I think, that, that there's something else about Chloe Zhao that he feels like he nabbed up that nobody else was able to see or didn't, didn't catch up on faster than he did. And I think that just makes him a little bit happier on a producing scale and as a creative scale. So there was just a different... A different, a different sense for Kevin Feige when I watched him on this premiere trail than in recent films. So I'm really, really excited to see this movie and, and see what it's all about finally. This film was supposed to come out last year and it was announced in 2019. So to finally see this one come to fruition is really, really exciting. And we'll see what it's all about when it finally comes out on November 5th. What do you guys think about these reactions to Eternal so far? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. All right, now moving on to some other movie news that is coming out around the world of Hollywood. And the one of the things that I really want to talk about is kind of sticking with the MCU a little bit and also Walt Disney Studios. A little bit shockingly, on Monday, it was announced that the 2022-2023 slate of MCU films and some Disney films will be kind of shifting their dates in the coming months that I don't think a lot of people really saw coming. And now that could be, well, it's not really a good sign, but it isn't the kind of drastic sign that I think in the pandemic days of of last year, if this were to happen, we'd be very, very, very concerned. But it doesn't seem like that is really the case with this film. It's not because of COVID. It's not because of the market. But I think it seems like it has to do with some production deadlines that I'm sure maybe some films within Disney and Marvel are not able to complete on time. And instead of trying to to move some of those films around. Um, Kevin Feige and the marketing team and the people over at Walt Disney and the MCU, Marvel Studios, probably just thought, you know what, let's lift up the dates and just kind of move them over to a couple of other ones in the coming months instead of, of trying to play Tetris with these release dates in, in a way. So I think that is what the MCU decided to do with these right now. And so, Looking at some of these release date changes that they specified when it came to the, the the Disney release dates, this is some of the big ones that came about, especially with the MCU. So the first one that is set to go, for everyone that's wondering, no, Spider-Man No Way Home has not moved. That is also a Sony film. So Sony would make that decision, and they are still on the slate for coming out on December 17th of this year. So that has not moved. However, starting with Doctor Strange, instead of coming out in March of, of March 25th of 2022 and going up against the Batman that same month, instead it will be kicking off next year's summer movie season on May 6th of 2022, which I actually think is a better release date for it. I think the hype surrounding that film, even though I think it would do really well in March, uh, the MCU has proven that no matter where you put it, and Shang-Chi was the latest example of that coming out on a weekend that nobody ever touched with Labor Day weekend, anybody will go to the M- will go to theaters and will watch an MCU film. You don't need to worry about where you place it. If you if you place it, people will come. If you announce a release date for an MCU film, people will come to see it as they try to say and feel the dreams. But instead of coming out on the on the 25th of March, it's coming out on May 6th of 2022. Great date for it. I think, again, the anticipation for this film 
besides Spider-Man No Way Home, this kind of feels like the next mega, mega event film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where there's no big one with Avengers. There's not really kind of a, a big Captain America film, obviously, but I think if you had to place your pulse on a big film to come that's not Spider-Man No Way Home, I think that's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness right now. So coming out in the month of May, I think is a really smart move to kick off the summer movie season. Marvel gets back to doing that after not having been able to do that since really Avengers Endgame in 2019 when the pandemic hit in 2020, you didn't have that. And then people were still not feeling it in the beginning of May that they didn't really kind of kick off the summer movie season there. So to have Marvel Studios kick off the summer movie season again is another step to normalcy within the movie landscape. And so to have that, I think, is a really smart move. And then moving from May 6th of 2022 to July 8th of 2022 is Thor Love and Thunder, which is, again, I like that date for it as well. Again, I think if you place that film anywhere in the summertime, I think that is a great summer film to have, and I think it will do well in the July month. And then moving from July 8th to November 11th of 2022, 22 is Black Panther Wakanda forever. And so again, I think that's, we'll see how that does in November. But I think again, Black Panther is a film that a lot of people are going to see for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people love, of course, the first film that came out, Black Panther in that world have transfixed the pop culture. And then of course, you have the added element of Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us. What is Marvel Studios, the creatives, going to do with this film? How are they going to introduce a new Black Panther who's going to take on that mantle since they are not going to recast the role of T'Challa? So I think that's a film that a lot of people are going to have their eyes on. The one film that that makes me a little sad that it moved a little bit, and it's even more than the MCU films, is the untitled Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones 5. Now, this is a film that has just been moving constantly, one year after the other after the other, kind of like the Avatar films. But we know this film is in production. We've seen set photos of this film actually happening. But still, the release date gets moved back more and more and more. Before we know it, this film's going to come out in like 2030. And and hopefully Harrison Ford is still alive at that point. But who knows? I I, I don't know when we're going to get this film. We know it's coming, but hopefully we get this movie soon because at that point, it will have been well over 15, 16 years since we got Indiana Jones 4 when that came out in 08. So it, it, Harrison Ford's pushing up there in age, but I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing this movie. Again, uh, Steven Spielberg's not coming back, but if you had to get a good replacement, James Mangold is a great one. So we'll see how this film does, but... It just stinks that moving from July to June of 2023, I think that's a really good date for it. Just stinks now we're going to have to wait basically two years for another Indiana Jones film or the final one as they've called this one to be with Indiana Jones 5. And then they moved a live action Disney film off of the release schedule date of July 14th, 2023. And then the Marvels moved from July or November 11th of 2022 to February 17th of 2023. So again, basically, it's basically moving off these films from one to the next and basically erasing that March 25th, 2022 release date for these Marvel films. So instead of Ant-Man of the Wasp coming out in February 17th of 2023, it moves to a more comfortable release date of July 28th of 2023. And then we get a couple more films that also came out. There were a bunch of Marvel films 
that were coming out that have been moved off the schedule. So the one that was supposed to be for July 28th of 2023 has been moved off. And the one that was slated for October 6th of 2023 has been removed from the Disney schedule. And then there is one Marvel film that was supposed to come out on November 10th, 2023, that has been moved to November 3rd of 2023. So I think for Marvel, again, it's the fact that they're a weld oil machine at this point. And even a weld oil machine took some damages during the COVID-19 pandemic. And they have so many different productions happening and not just movies but disney plus shows as well and i just think that i'm sure some films aren't just they're not going to be able to hit their release dates right now whether that's because they need extra production days or they need extra post post production days whatever it is i if, if you can't make that date it's better to move it than try to move a bunch of stuff around or just trying to cram it into that release date and just try to get it out there as fast as possible so i think for marvel and disney it's a smart choice to do and it, listen, if we have to wait, we have to wait. We've been doing it for all these films, but slowly but surely, before we know it, we are seeing these films like No Time to Die and all these MCU films and, and Godzilla versus Kong. And so all these movies that are coming out, we're getting to see them eventually. It's just taking a little longer, but I think we'll all wait for these films when they actually do come. But again, it's not because of the, the nervousness of COVID or the theater situation. I think this is just strictly within the Disney MCU household and just making sure that they have all their ducks in a row and that they're just kind of... Kind of like hey if you need some if you need some more time take some more time and also when you look at these films it's also the fact that we are instead of going to a four movie slate like I think we were they were originally going to do I think they realized that that could potentially dilute the brand a little bit because if you look at these release dates you have Doctor Strange coming out May 6th you have Thor Love and Thunder July 8th then you have Black Panther on November 11th of next year there's, there's only going to be three movies that come out with the MCU next year but I think that's a smart strategy because they did really successful with just three films coming out and I think spacing them out makes them a lot more of special events and I think it's especially because you have these Disney Plus shows coming on the MCU, you're going to have to juggle all these things. And I think the great thing about the MCU is that you had a couple months to kind of marinate a new MCU film, and then you were clamoring for a brand new one, and it was right around the corner. And I think with all these MCU projects that are now happening, you've got to be able to just keep the excitement going. So you have a Disney Plus show come out, and then you have a movie a couple weeks later. I think that's a good strategy to really kind of have, and you're not just kind of being like, oh, well, we're oversaturating the market with comic book stuff or Marvel stuff and people might be turned off by that a little bit more so than they were than they might have been beforehand I think this is a better strategy to have the, the three the three movie structure has worked for them evidently in the last couple of years obviously so I think going back to that is a smart strategy right now especially when you're trying to get off the pandemic right now I think that's the way to go and it's a smart decision by Kevin Feige Marvel Studios and the people over at Disney so what do you guys think about the ship change for the MCU. Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to some teaser trailers real quick that came out around the world of Hollywood and two of them are for two potential award season contender films that are coming out at towards the end of the year. And the first one is of a 42nd teaser trailer for Joe Cohen's first solo film as his own director, of course, and that is the Shakespearean adaptation of The Tragedy of Macbeth. And of course, it's got a great cast that's with Denzel Washington, just coming off of her recent Academy Award win for Best Actress, Frances McDormand, and Corey Hawkins as well. And again, we don't 
if you know the story of the tragedy of Macbeth, you know how the story's gonna go. But we haven't really gotten like a full blown trailer for this yet. But the stuff that we've gotten, the the big thing that stands out to me is the stunning cinematography of this movie. The fact that it's in black and white, it is stunning, gorgeous black and white. That whenever I see black and white movies nowadays when done correctly, it throws me back to the old Hollywood days in, in, in a great, smart way. And this seems to be doing the exact same thing. And I'm excited to see what this Coen brother does with this movie by himself. And he's got a really good cast behind him. I'm sure he's got a really good crew. So I liked what I saw with this 40-second trailer, and I'm excited to see this film in the next couple of months. But the big one that really stuck out to me, and it's the first time we've seen any kind of movement and information about it, is kind of the, the biopic film of this uh, of these characters and that is of course being the Ricardos and it's a teaser trailer for a film that takes place over the course of a full week of production during I Love Lucy and it really kind of goes into the lives of both Lucia Ball and and, and and Desi Arnaz who were both married while making the show and they were both a big Hollywood couple and it's really about kind of seeing them in their personal lives while making one of the greatest sitcoms in television history that is still talked about to this very day and it looks it looks incredibly well done i'm always a big fan of really kind of showcasing kind of productions of old school cinema and and hollywood movies or television shows and it seems like this is what it is and you have aaron sorkin who's coming off of a big award season run with charlie charles chicago seven last year and could have the same thing happen for him again this year with being the ricardos he wrote it and also directed it at the same time and it features and just an incredible cast once again for him he's got nicole kidman who's playing lucille ball javier bardem is playing desi arnaz you have jk simmons nina andrea you have jake lacy of clark Gregg as well and so again seeing the trailer it looks fun and interesting and for aaron sorkin he's never really done something like this before as a screenwriter and as a director in kind of like going back to the old school hollywood classics in a way so i think that's cool for him i think this is kind of different from what he did obviously last year with the trial of chicago 7 and also what he did with molly's game as well so again it's going to be very interesting to see how he again continues to evolve as a director and how he puts that in his writing and so i hope this is another step for him with his films i thought he took a really good step moving forward with Trial of Chicago 7, and I hope the same thing happens with being the Ricardos. And when you have someone like Nicole Kim playing Lucille Ball, she looks fantastic in being able to just become a chameleon in that role. I love how we're probably going to be getting like old school Hollywood feels with like the old black and white cameras in a way for TV. It looks awesome. And so this one's coming out towards the end of the year. It'll be a limited release on December 10th before hitting Amazon Prime Video on December 21st. So Amazon Prime's trying to get into the awards race as well with this film. So we'll see what they'll be able to do. But for first good impression, I really like what I saw with being the Ricardos. And then the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about in the world of Hollywood is, of course, some news that came out earlier today, and that is, of course, talking about the brand new Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheim, which is going to be talking about the scientist who helped create the atom bomb during the Second World War. And we did hear that, of course, the big Nolan news is that he's making his new movie, Cillian Murphy is going to be playing Oppenheim, and that this is going to be moving away from Warner Brothers Pictures and moving over to Universal Pictures instead. 
And today we heard some more casting announcements happen for this movie, a major one in which Christopher Nolan has found the co-star alongside Cillian Murphy for this film. And that is going to be the one and only Emily Blunt will be playing the wife of Oppenheim in this film. And that's a major get for Christopher Nolan. And according to Deadline Hollywood, this is just the latest casting of what is going to be an all-star cast for this movie. Kind of like what we've seen with a lot of Christopher Nolan films from Inception, where he was with it was Leonardo DiCaprio and, 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 and Elliot Page now, and Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ken Watanabe, Michael Caine, of course, and what he had with Interstellar and Dunkirk. He had, he, he's had tremendous casting. Of course, what he was able to do with the Dark Knight trilogy as well, He's gonna. It seems like that is the kind of cast that he's gonna be able to have with this one. So, and to get Cillian Murphy and, and Emily Blunt right off the bat, the two phenomenal gets. And, and so, again, it's it's a Christopher Nolan film. You're always gonna get excited for it, even though some people didn't like his latest with Tenet. I was a fan of it. I think that this is going kind of back to his his last success before Tenet, which was Dunkirk, which was a, a great visual kind of masterpiece in a way where. He was able to kind of make a, a, a new kind of war film that we hadn't seen before. So now he's going into the war biopic range, and he's never really done that either in a way. So again, a, a new avenue that Christopher Nolan is probably going to try to curtail into some kind of original, it's not an original story because it's based off of, of, of a memoir and a real person, but he's going to try to make it his own and do something different with it and unique. And you can always count Christopher Nolan to do something like that. So I really like the casting announcement for this movie. Uh, again, Emily Blunt is a phenomenal actress. She was great in not just A Quiet Place Part 2 this year, but she, she was awesome in Jungle Cruise this year as well, pairing alongside Dwayne Johnson. And, and just when you look at her body of work, it's just, it's unparalleled. It's just such a great resume that she has. And to pair once again, not really once again, but with another great director, like Christopher Nolan is just absolutely incredible. So I'm really excited to see what she's able to do with Nolan in this film and, and, and how they can really kind of uh, tally off of each other in a way and kind of go tit for tat in a way and, and, and bounce off of each other. That'll be really, really exciting to see. So I'm interested. I like the casting announcement and I'm sure we'll hear more about this film in the coming weeks and months to come. What did you guys think about this casting announcement? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now, guys, the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is, of course, what I do every single Wednesday or every single time that I get towards the end of the week, of course, and that is the weekend preview, basically previewing what is set to come out this weekend in theaters. And we, it's been like this all October, and we're going to continue it where we have another highly anticipated film finally hitting the big screen for everybody to see. And that, of course, is the highly anticipated sci-fi film based off of the Frank Herbert adaptation of his novel, directed by the one and only Denis Villeneuve, is Dune. Dune is finally hitting the big screen for everybody to see. And of course, it stars an A list cast that of course includes Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, Javier Bardem, the list goes on and on. Jason Momoa, I missed off of that list as well. It's just a phenomenal cast and again, this is this was one of my most anticipated films coming out of 2020. 
This was number two right alongside Tenet. I think Denis Villeneuve right alongside Christopher Nolan are is one of the best directors working in the industry today. I mean, just like Christopher Nolan, and I, I think some people might have saw Tenet maybe being a slip off. I really did not. Christopher Nolan has not missed for me so far in the last couple movies he's done. And Denis Villeneuve is the same way. And every single film I've seen of his since 2013, I believe, when Prisoners came out with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, which he Yep, 2013, when he came out with Prisoners, from Sicario in 2015 to Arrival in 2016 to Blade Runner 2049, 2017, he's just been one hit after a hit. And even though they're not box office hits, they're critical, they're they're critical hits and they're hits that they're great movies in general. Sicario is still my number one film. I know people think Blade Runner 2049 is that, and, and now some people think Dune is that film for him. I still think Sicario is that. I still have to see Dune, so maybe that could change in, in the next day or so. I'll have a full review for Dune coming out in the next couple of days for everybody to hear but I'm really excited about this film from the fact that it goes to practical elements and it's something that is very visceral it's made for the cinematic experience there's been a lot of of back and forth between Denis Villeneuve and the studio for this that it doesn't it should not be seen on a television screen it needs to be seen with surround sound and the biggest screen you could possibly see it on so I'm really excited for this and this is only the first part of this story for Denis Villeneuve so everyone again if you need to if you want to see more of this you've got to go support the film got to go see it and for him to make that second part and more projects within this franchise hope hope to be soon franchise with dune but i'm really excited about it i cannot wait to see finally for the first time dune it it, i just can't i've been waiting for this film for a long time since it was initially announced and that denny was going to do it and we'll see what he's able to do now hopefully it's a bigger success than blade runner 2049 was i think that's the concern where denny is one of those directors right now where great filmmaker puts out great content great films that everybody loves but not a lot of people see it until it's too late or it hits VOD or digital or, or or home video or things like that. And so you need to go see this film in theaters if you want there to be more of these films down the pipeline. So Dune's the big one that everyone's going to see, but there are a couple of other films that are coming out in theaters for people to see. And it's going to be kind of a, a double feature for Timothy Chalamet this weekend as it's not just Dune that he has coming out, but he has another high profile director that is coming out with a brand new film that was supposed to come out last year, but now is set to come out this year. And that of course is the French Dispatch, which is directed and written by the one and only Wes Anderson, and it stars Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Benicio Del Toro, Leah Sadu, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Bill Murray, and Owen Wilson, who is, of course, a mainstay when it comes to Wes Anderson films, and so is Bill Murray as well. And I'm looking forward to this film. I'm somebody who isn't a big Wes Anderson film, but I respect the films that he makes. And I've been looking forward to seeing what The French Dispatch is going to be. There hasn't been, sadly, a lot of of buzz surrounding this film. And I wonder if that's because Dune is really kind of overtaking that right now this weekend. And really, the only kind of buzz I heard about it was when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in the summertime this year. But other than that, there's really nothing, there hasn't been any other waves surrounding this film. So I think for, for Wes Anderson, at least he's directing a brand new movie right now because this was supposed to come out last year. I think for him, he's moved on to to other films that he's making and this one's in the past. And I think for everyone, it's either if you're a fan of this, you'll go see it. If not, 
it. It's just, you know, you see when you see it and then you move on to other Wes Anderson projects and other projects that are coming down the line. But I'm really excited to see this film. I really have liked the trailers that I've seen so far. It looks gorgeous. It has that Wes Anderson flair to it if you're a fan of his. So I'm definitely interested to see that film when it comes out as well. And then another animated film that's set to come out this weekend is a 20th Century Studios film, Ron's Gone Wrong. And that was another film that has been moved around during the pandemic. It's it's voiced by Zach Galifianakis and Jack Dylan Grazier, Olivia Coleman, and, and Ed Helms are also a part of this as well. So it'll be very interesting to see how this film does. Again, it, it seems like a great weekend for a lot of counter-programming. So we'll see how the box office fares this weekend. And, and the October box office has done really, really well. It's done what it's supposed to do, which is, is really after kind of a very a very dearth kind of month of September, even though we had Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This this past month really has just had a lot of great hits one after another that have done either a lot better than people expected or have done what people expected it to do, but we've had Venom, Let There Be Carnage, No Time to Die, and we're hoping that this weekend is doing it. And of course, this past weekend, we had Halloween Kills as well do a lot better than expected. So I think there is a lot of potential for these films down the line, and we'll see if that can continue with The Last Night in Soho next weekend as well, and of course, the following weekend with Eternals. This is really the fall movie season. I think this is what people were hoping for in the, in the theatrical community with these movies doing a lot better than expected. And the next one on the list is to see how Dune does. So all eyes will be on Dune once again this weekend. It's done really well overseas so far, so hopefully, I think Warner Brothers, the theater industry in general, is fingers cross once again to see how Dune does this weekend. So what do you guys think about the weekend preview? Which films are you excited to go see this weekend? Of course, the one that I would absolutely recommend is Dune. That's my most anticipated this weekend. I'll have a review for that on the podcast in the next couple of days leading into the weekend. Guys, what do you, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Vassell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check on my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Everyone, once again, thank you so much again for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.